This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Valley, coming at you, as almost always, with my incredibly esteemed, super-duper, awesome-times-awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, just wildly, astoundingly, disarmingly, <laughs> near-perfect co-host, Andy Bailey. Um, we are continuing to roll through. How can He's- I be all those things? And near perfect. Well, because I know who you picked to win MVP. And, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm speaking of which, we're continuing to roll through our year-end um, podcast series, and we're gonna just do the individual honor awards because all NBA. I feel like, and I, I'm sure Andy Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. probably feels the same way i still feel like there's some wiggle room there because you have to go 15 players deep that some surprises could make it and the regular season isn't over yet and where some of the individual awards are still up in the air i don't think the picks for that are going to change much if at all there might be one award that i think could basically shift by the end of the year um before we hop into that though i just want to remind everyone to please rate subscribe and review to us on itunes Um, I know there are listeners out there who have not subscribed or rated to us because they said so on Twitter a couple times, which is weird. So you should totally make your life easier. Just have this downloaded to your phone, your device, your computer, whatever you use. Also, please leave the ratings on iTunes. That's the best way to help us right now. And those take literally 10 to 15 seconds of your day. We also really do appreciate the reviews. Andy and I send each other screenshots of certain reviews from time to time. So if you want to make it, inadvertently or into the hardwood Knox's super secret text message thread that would be a good way to do it know that andy and i are always watching and screenshotting and talking to each <laughs> other um and finally mba math you can still get 15 percent off at the shop there mbamath.com 
slash shop. The promo code is Benno, B-E-N-O. You should be able to remember that because he gets a shout out, mostly along with Kyle Anderson, but Benno, at the end of every podcast, my awesome co-host Andy is a part of. Um, So with that, we get to the really just the nails of it all, the question everyone's been wondering since the last time we published the podcast. Andy, how are you? I'm excellent. I'm ready to dive into these uh, individual season awards. I I think I agree. Um, All NBA is going to be brutal. It feels like it's going to be harder to narrow it down to 15 than it was to narrow all these individual awards down to one for me this season. Do you know who really hasn't helped the the case? Stephen Curry and Chris Paul with the time that they've missed. Yeah, that that makes it a lot harder. That's for sure. If Stephen Curry hadn't gotten hurt, he would... um, He would have been first team for me, without question. Well, yeah, and I was going to say he might even be in my MVP conversation. I had him. Um, I did an MVP ladder before he went down and he was number two for me and that wouldn't have changed. I just think that he's, and I almost feel like I've come to a point where I have to cape for Stephen Curry because since he's played with Kevin Durant, people forget how valuable he is. to the Warriors. Yeah. It's amazing. The on off stuff this year with him is crazy. It's nuts. Everybody was so quick to say that, um, you know, it's Durant's team now, but um, there's a lot of numbers this season that would suggest otherwise. We're already off on a tangent though. Do we want to, uh, I say we start with... I was going to say we start with... I think we have a couple that are just going to be consensus that maybe we Yeah, I was going to say save, save MVP for the end, right? Yeah, I mean, that might be consensus anyway. But yeah, MVP should be last. You want to start with... I feel like the one that is going to receive the, the least amount of pushback is most improved player. Do you want to start there? Sure. Um, I went with Joe Ingles. Just... <laughs> No, not MVP, most improved. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, good call. Um, Victor Oladipo seems like a pretty obvious choice here. Um, he's kind of had this award locked up for months, I so would it's say. Like week one, that's, basically. Yeah, that's probably not a stretch. Uh, he's sixth in the entire NBA in real plus minus this season. It's crazy to me that he has maintained that top 10 level all season long. Last year, he was 66th. Um, his minutes, so a lot of times most improved player winds up going to somebody who just got a bigger role randomly. And that's that's partly true with Victor Oladipo. I mean, certainly his usage went up. But his minutes um, only went up about one minute per game this season. And this is what happened to his other averages. His scoring average went up about eight points. His steals average was doubled. Um, his assists went up almost two assists a game. Rebounds went up one. Field goal percentage went up three points. And his three-point percentage, which he's cooled off uh, significantly of late, his three-point percentage is up about half a percent. And I feel like I'm just sort of beating a dead horse at this point, but I could I could do the exact same thing with his advanced numbers too. They're all up. Um, Wait, can I? so I'm just going to interject, and I think my case is going to be that can just be simplified to that because I did run something for his advanced numbers, which I found crazy okay. because of your playing time point. So last year in total points added from NBA math, real plus minus from ESPN.com PER per basketball reference, and then value over replacement player also per basketball reference, his average rank in those four catch all categories. And I didn't include box plus minus just because it felt a little bit redundant with TPA in there, but his 
average ranks in those categories in the league, 198th. This year, in those same categories, in TPA, RPM, PER, and VORP, his average rank, 13. Jeez, that is crazy. That's nuts. That's that's just the <laughs> entire case for him. That's a 185-spot jump in the average department. And I... Um... It would probably take a while to go through and do that with any other candidates for this award, but I can't imagine anyone's close to that big of a jump. There's because Victor the and if you looked at the most improved player winners like throughout history, it's basically trying to spot the guy who is has made the leap or is on the verge of becoming a full-fledged superstar. And I don't think there's anyone who's improved to an appreciable degree that would fall under that category other than him. Maybe you could have made the argument. It would have been much weaker, but for someone like Christoph Porzingis, if he was healthy because he looks like a star, Aaron Gordon just hasn't gotten there. Nikola Jokic is just basically the same player. He's still really good. I just, the way his improvement has gone, it hasn't a lot. It hasn't aligned with award in award like this. So I don't know who else you, you would pick. And even if there was someone there, there's, I would hazard, there's no one with this kind of jump, the 185. But, and if it is, it's a low volume guy. Yeah, I, I I would be shocked if <laughs> if anybody approaches that level of jump. So we are certainly in agreement on Victor Oladipo. That one felt pretty easy. Um, Can I put you on the spot with a, a question that's semi-related to it? Yes. So if you look at, if we assume Victor Oladipo wins the Most Improved Player Award, does he have a chance of being better than any of the last five winners, who would be Paul George, Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, McCollum, and Giannis, I would say definitely Dragic. I think he has a chance to be. Uh, he he might already be better than McCollum. He is already better than McCollum. Yeah, Don't I you think? think? I, yeah, I I do agree. Butler would. Pr- I I'm not ready to rule out That's Butler or Paul George. Those two are tough. Rule out him being better than them. Yeah, I'm not ready to rule it out. He's not going to be better than Giannis because Giannis is a freak. Yeah, I don't think he'll get to Giannis's level either. I guess those guys are probably within reach. I would say at least one of them. Maybe not Jimmy Butler. But Paul George, I think Butler so. Butler at his peak is like last year was a top five to ten player. Um, Without question. So, but I'm worried about, I hope Jimmy Butler can be, you know, that version of himself going forward. That's an interesting question. Um, I think I'm pretty much with you. I, I They're clearly, I, I think he's already better than Dragic and McCollum and he can catch those other two that you mentioned. And if you just those names, it bodes well for his future of this being sustainable. When you yeah, look that's at, five. That's five good most improved player of the year winners right there. Do you want to? If you go to the next five, though, it's it a little bit more treacherous. Though. I was going to say because it's usually it, it's usually kind of hit or miss. Let me hear the next five. Ryan Anderson, which you know, fine. Yeah, yeah. Ke- Kevin Love, definitely fine. Yeah. But now is where it starts to get real. Aaron Brooks, Danny Ooh. Granger. That was two. That must have been the year that he randomly averaged twenty for the Rockets, right? Brooks, um, Brooks had was that 19.6? Yeah, it was 2009-2010. 2008-2009 was Danny Granger, who was – he was basically – He was good. He was like if Chris Middleton. Had... Yeah, if injuries never – you know, but he averaged uh, – that was the year he averaged almost 26 points per game. Uh, and then Turkoglu won it in 2007-2008. And he was good too. Ma- actually – Maybe he... it's not as like checkered as I thought. The, the Aaron Brooks one is – is the toughest. The, for yeah, sure. that's the yeah. Monte Ellis is the one if we want to go six deep. Boris Dia was in 2005, 2006, seven deep. Um, but recent history bodes well. Yeah, for sure. For him. 
Um, let's do. I, I feel like rookie of the year is probably consensus as well. Um, for everyone outside of Utah, most likely, yes. <laughs> you know what's crazy? Uh, I've had a few people tweeting me in the last week or so, um, not even responding to anything that I tweeted, just saying stuff like, okay, fine, Ben Simmons is the rookie of the year. Like they, A lot of them are starting to accept it, which is, I, I didn't think that would ever happen. That shows you just how insane Ben Simmons has been over the last couple weeks. Um, I'm sort of tipping my hand, but I don't think it'll be a surprise to anybody. Do you want to take this one first? I Yeah, I mean, it's Ben Simmons for me. And the biggest argument against him no longer exists. The Sixers are now a net plus when he plays without Joel Embiid on the season, which was just the, the argument that everyone was going to to use against him. In Donovan Mitchell's favor, I will say on the year when he plays without Gobert, the Jazz are plus .7 points per 100 possessions. But I just when you look at what Ben Simmons does for the offense as a passer— he is already a better defender than Donovan Mitchell, who's been very good defensively for a rookie. Just a guy who's not went, and you watch the Jazz more than I do, obviously, but whenever I watch, and Donovan Mitchell just, you see some of these other rookies, where if it's Lonzo Ball getting beat and trying to break up plays from behind, which he's really good at doing, or you see what kind of happens with De'Aaron Fox or even sometimes Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell just always seems like he's never out of position, which is just, to be able to say that about a rookie is a pretty big deal. Just Ben Simmons, though, is I think he has an All NBA case already. Even if yep, you, even I if agree. you want to put him with the guards, I think it's there, and it's tough for me to really ignore that. And I know that a, a lot of what's happened recently has been, you know, it's helped that the Sixers have played a cupcake schedule. They've had the easiest schedule since the All Star break, but you're a rookie, and the Sixers are now since February first. 9.5 points, their net rating, outscoring opponents by 9.5 points per 100 possessions when Simmons plays without Embiid. Offensive rating of almost 111, defensive rating 101.4. Those are elite marks, and it's actually just even scarier what he does with Joel Embiid since uh, February 1st, plus 22 points per 100 possessions. But to carry that workload where you're already one of the premier passers, I, I just I don't know how you go against him with the award. And it's small because Donovan Mitchell got turned loose fairly early this season. At the same time, though, Ben Simmons has just consistently been doing this just all year, day one. And the the biggest, I mean, maybe just, I can understand why people would be salty. Like, if he was healthy last year, Donovan Mitchell wouldn't even have competition for the rookie of the year. Yeah, it would be his. Right now. So I, it's, it's Ben Simmons for me, and it's not, I don't want to say it's not close, but I think he is the clear choice. He's the clear choice for me, too. I, I agree with you. I was trying to figure out what my all-NBA teams would be the other day. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ben Simmons was like I, I really have to think about making him third team. Um, that podcast which is, is going to be so insane. interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. I, I'm like dreading trying to narrow it down to 15 players. Uh, but anyway, he is currently 16th uh, in the entire NBA rookies and veterans in uh, real plus minus wins. He's he's just been unbelievable this season since March 1st. He's averaging 14.1 points, 10.6 assists, 9.6 rebounds, one and a half steals, and shooting 59.5% from the field. Um, one of the most annoying like anti-Ben Simmons things all season is, well, he can't shoot threes. So he, he doesn't deserve any love because he can't shoot threes. 
if you can shoot 60% from the field and average, you know, 14 to 16 points, it's not a big deal. Especially if you're adding another 25 points with assists. Um, it's, it's very much like Giannis. I mean, it would be nice if these guys could add threes, but the fact that they have the ball in their hands, uh, people have to pay attention to them, and they can get to the rim whenever they want. So uh, the, the whole he has to shoot threes thing is just wildly overblown to me. Uh, the other stat that I looked up, because I was sort of thinking the same thing, uh, uh, another big anti-Ben Simmons push was, well, he's, he can't really do it without Embiid. So I'm glad you brought up the number that you did. Uh, but his season-long numbers, when he's on the floor without Embiid, 17.2 points, 9.3 rebounds, 8.9 assists, 1.6 steals, and one block per 36 minutes. Um, just absurd numbers when he's when he's not on the floor with Joel Embiid. Now, his field goal percentage does drop from like 60 to 50. Uh, so obviously having Embiid helps him, you know, get easier shots. But his overall raw numbers without him are still just insane. I, I, I think, um, you know, people have been trying so hard to make a case between him and Donovan Mitchell that I think we've kind of undersold the historic significance of this rookie season. I mean, it, it is truly one of the best we've ever seen. Yeah, and, and it could be, it's unique unto itself. It's not just because he's a rookie of what oh, he's doing. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that point. The, the thing that you brought up that's going to be interesting, and this is more about his future than right now, his lack of range is more troubling than Giannis's is because, but again, he's a rookie, just because he's only shooting three-point heaves. And right now, if you look at Giannis, He's willing to pull up and take the long two. He's willing to at least shoot from three. And getting to that point for Ben Simmons is going to be important because he's not going to be able to blow by everybody for his entire career. And I'm very. what's going to say a lot about his future and his overall rank in the league is what is he going to look like in the playoffs? Because he will get the Andre Robertson treatment where no one's going to guard him from the perimeter. And right now... He just, no matter how much space you leave, he just gets by guys because he's able to attack the paint. And maybe that works, but if it doesn't work in the playoffs, we've seen Giannis dominate in the playoffs. And I just think that that's the one big question for Simmons. That being said, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way, and I was actually having a conversation with this about Adam Frommel because we're working on a player rankings for the playoffs. Giannis Antetokounmpo has, to me, what Russell Westbrook does, where I don't look at him as an incredible passer, it's just that he is such a magnet. He yeah, it's like he, a force of nature yeah. thing to get his assists. Yeah, it's, for sure. Like the players are just going to be open by default, and he's going to find them because that's what you do in basketball. Ben Simmons is just legitimately high. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Russell Westbrook, both high IQ players. But like, I'm Ben Simmons is just for a rookie, just so intelligible with the way he passes the ball, with what he can do to defenses, even when it's one-on-one situations and some of these guys, he has to find small seams in the defense. And this is something that I found really incredible too, was he's accounting for 32.1.8% of Philly's entire offense this season. Points generated off assists and points that he scored himself. Donovan Mitchell, still an impressive number, at 27.1% about for the Jazz. That's a more than a 5% difference, which I think really matters. He's, he's, he's literally generated more than 1,200 points off both assists and scored on his own. That's, I, I, would, I would hazard there's only a handful, handful of players in the league that have done that. 
this season. And if you even want to leave them in lockstep as overall performance, as defenders, uh, saying Donovan Mitchell's the better scorer, the fact what Ben Simmons does as a passer right now is just, it's transcendent. And that's not to take anything away from Donovan Mitchell, but it's just absolutely yeah. transcendent. Um, Nathan Hand asked me on Twitter the other day who my just the five current best passers in the NBA are, and Ben Simmons being in there was already seemed like a foregone conclusion to me. I would try to think who's better than him. I, I so my, my sort of obvious ones, and maybe I should look this up again to make sure I'm not misquoting myself. Um, <laughs> That's the best kind ben, of misquote, though. Ben Simmons was an obvious one to me. Um, I had LeBron in there. I know that. Okay, here we go. Oh, he asked me for the top six. But I had LeBron, Chris Paul, James Harden, Ben Simmons, Nikola Jokic. And then I really, I couldn't settle on a sixth. I, I threw out some names as contenders. John Wall, Rubio, Teodosic, Ball, Curry. Um, but but my, my overall point was the, the fact that I'm already putting Simmons with like LeBron and Harden and Jokic as passers. Um, and I really don't feel like that that crazy is is just that's a lot to <laughs> that's quite a compliment to give Ben Simmons basically he, to put him outside the top 10 passers in the NBA would be absolutely egregious yeah there's no way you could do that right but I, I, that would just be another point to try. like maybe some people won't have him in the top five and that's fine but I I, I would just be really hard pressed to, uh, to 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 like not include him there he's he's so good already um all right, we've got that one wrapped, right? Yes, sir. You want to move, move on to DPOY? Yes, I'm just going to I'm going to say my pick but defer to you on the entire case for it because <laughs> my pick is Rudy Gobert and the only reason I would not have picked Gobert would have been if Joel Embiid played the rest of the season and I would have just been too drawn to his sample size because I do think they're even in a lot of what they do. Gobert changes I think more of the way offenses approach how they score in the half court, but I think that Joel Embiid does do more functionality wise. If that may, just he wears a little, he wears a few more hats in higher volume than Rudy Gobert. But that's all I have to say I, on the matter. Yeah, I buy the few more hats argument for sure. I mean, I wow, you I, just I, called Rudy Gobert a bottom fifty player in the NBA. I want the Jazz fans <laughs> to explicitly note that. <laughs> As much as anybody, when uh, when Gobert's playing a big man who can get out to the perimeter and shoot, I'm I am like the loudest guy on Twitter <laughs> complaining about because he he does have real weaknesses. Uh, uh, that's for sure. Um, I think it was Danny Chow for the Ringer actually wrote a pretty good piece about Gobert's weaknesses and whether or not they'll sort of rear their ugly head in the playoffs. So if you want to check that out, it's worth a read. But you made a point in there about I mean. He just fundamentally changes the way teams approach playing the Utah Jazz, uh, not only from a game plan standpoint, but within individual possessions. The, you watch the Jazz, there are so many possessions when a guard will get by his man. Um, and before he even gets to the paint, <laughs> he realizes what's about to happen and doesn't about face and goes back out to the perimeter. Or, you know, there's other times where he, a, a guy will get to the paint, he'll start to go into his shooting motion, and then out of nowhere, uh, this seven foot two monster with a seven nine wingspan is just suddenly right in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> he almost like teleports from 
one spot on the court to the other to be in front of a shooter and just completely throws off the guy's uh, mechanics and the number of shots he alters. And it'll be really cool if, if the NBA and all the tracking cameras can ever figure out a way to, to track that. Oh, I'm sure um, they do, and it's just not available to us. Maybe not publicly available, yeah. If they added that, I, I feel like he would just lead the league in that stat by a mile. Uh, um, so numbers we do have, this is the second year in a row that he's led the league in defensive real plus minus, and it's the second year in a row that it's it's not close. I mean, there is major distance between him and second. Um, he's second only to, you'll like this, Chris Stapp's Porzingis in block percentage. Uh, Utah's defensive rating, and I think we, we kind of covered a little bit of this on the last pod when we did all defense, um, but it goes from from good to like otherworldly when, when Gobert's on the floor. It's seven and a half points better when he's on the floor, and it drops all the way down to giving up about 9.8, or not 9.8, 98 points per 100 possessions. 9.8 would really be impressive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the last thing I looked up today was when he's off the floor, opponents have a effective have an effective field goal percentage of fifty two point four, and when he's on the floor, it drops down to forty nine point three. So I mean, there, there's there's a lot of different ways you can put it. I think ultimately you kind of alluded to the best point, and that's just that he's this transformational defensive player. I mean, he completely changes games, and it's proof that a big man can still do so because. Yeah, If you have someone who's going to be able to defend around the rim, I won't even say just at the rim, in, in that kind of volume, to the extent where the Jazz can just funnel guys into there, where so much of their defensive scheme is, it's not letting people beat you off the dribble, it's here, we're, we're going to give you this, this weak side lane, or even this strong side lane, because Gobert is just right there, and good luck scoring on him. Yep. And I can't remember if it was uh, that Danny Chow piece I already referenced, or I- I'm thinking it might have been Tim McMahon at ESPN. But one of them, I think they might have been quoting somebody in the front office, basically said his defensive impact is a lot like Curry's offensive impact, which I think is overstating it. Um, But he is that level of, I mean, he just completely changes a game. And there aren't many players who do that defensively uh, these days. He's To me, he's number one in that category. Do you still think he was... Do you think he deserved it last year over Draymond? Uh yeah, I do. And I um I had some fun tables on that. I I won't take the time to look it up right now, but it, it was the same way to me last season. I mean, he just completely changes the game when he's on the floor. And I think Draymond did too last year and I like I wasn't he he had a very 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 strong case, so it was fine to me that Draymond won. It's just that, in my personal opinion, Gobert was was more impactful. I would say that that is fair enough. So we are in agreement on DPOY. You want to do Executive of the Year next? Sure. Um, there are some contenders for this one. I I, I think Danny Ainge maybe deserves like a lifetime achievement thing with the way that he's collected assets and he's been patient with them. Um, he's been awesome. I think Dennis Lindsay recovering from the loss of Gordon Hayward, the, the way they did that was incredible. They made the trade to get Donovan Mitchell, those sort of fringe guys that they signed, Sepalosha, Jarebko and Udo have all been really good. Um, so there's certainly a case for him. Their best player, Rudy Gobert was a 27th pick. I think that goes 
into the discussion as well. But I'm going with Daryl Morey, um, who seems to sort of at least be in contention perennially, perennially for this award. But he just did so much this offseason, and I'm going to leave a lot of it to you. But the thing that really blew me away was not just the fact that they got Chris Paul, but all the gymnastics that they had to do to make it work. I mean, that was like, that's a general manager wizard at work right there. Uh, all those, they just signed guys just to be able to, to trade them to the Clippers and make the Chris Paul trade work. And um, knowing that those two would be fine together. I mean, there was all those questions about, uh, well, will Paul and Harden fit together this season? Um, clearly they knew the answer or, or they wouldn't have made the deal. I, I was just, that trade alone is a huge part of it. And I think, you know, there's more to his case. But again, I'm going to let you sort of break that down. Yeah, and I, the Chris Paul thing seems like a no-brainer. And almost sure. you don't... Uh, I, I think people understate... the. My point is the understate Daryl Morey's importance to that move. Yes, Chris Paul basically going to force his way to Houston. But as you pointed out, to cobble together all those contracts and make it work... And the other thing is, is you have to make that risk. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that Paul and Harden would work together just because both are used to operating with the ball in their hands. And Chris Paul specifically is known as this guy who, I, I don't want to say hijacks possessions, but he wants to be able to throw up all these long twos. Like he, or he was used to throwing up these long twos and mm-hmm. that doesn't jive with the way D'Antoni coaches. And yes, you can say that then the adjustment is from, or getting the buy-in from Chris Paul is sort of... A, on the coach and to which case kudos to Mike D'Antoni and most definitely so but Daryl Morey has been the one who's championed this kind of shot distribution as well and now Chris Paul comes in he is shooting 11.3 percent of his field goal attempts are coming from long two range between 16 feet and the three-point line that is the lowest mark in his career by nine percent and it is, Jeez, that's it is crazy. this one's almost crazier to me it's almost 15 percent lower than his frequency from long two range last year with the Clippers. He was at 26.1. And his three-point attempt rate, 47.4, the highest in his career. That's um, got to be by a comfortable amount, too, I would think. Second highest was actually last year, 38.5. That I mean, you kind of the gap is more impressive than the recency of it. because Yeah, you ex- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's a 9% jump. So, and I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And I mean, you even kind of look... More of his shots are, and they're small. More of his shots are coming inside three feet than last year. Which to say that about someone in their age thirty-two season, it's still only nine point one percent of his attempts. Because once he gets into the lane, it's almost like oh, he's throwing a lob or he's kicking out to a shooter. It just doesn't mm-hmm. feel like he's going to attempt. But to have that go up in his age thirty-two season, where my case, where the case for him, Maury, really just becomes airtight for me, is look at the moves he made on the margins, and it's even right down to what they did during the middle of the season. Gerald Gerald Green has, for the most part, been an offensive diamond in the rough for them. Mm -hmm. And he kind of helped them there. The Brandon Wright signing at the time, that that looked intriguing, uh, but he's just never been able to get healthy. And did they actually, did they waive him? I can't even remember. I I think they did. Yeah, so... I'm going to look that up. Yeah, they did waive him. So... Yeah, released, yep. And... Uh, but Joe Johnson hasn't been great there, but he's just another guy who, in the playoffs, he's going to go. If you need a face-up bucket, and let's say Chris, it's, you only have one or Chris Paul of James Harden on the floor, the, he's just that other guy that can get it for you. And in addition to Eric Gordon, and that's going to be important because Houston's success has been founded 
upon these one-on-one opportunities. And getting P.J. Tucker at the mid-level exception, that's proved to be good. He's opened up some really ridiculous lineups for them. And I will never stop caping for this guy, Luke and Bob Moot, who I believe is Houston's most important wing, might even be their best wing, um, depending on what you consider James Harden. Everybody relax. I think he's <laughs> he's more important to them than P.J. Tucker and Trevor Reza, and he might even be better than them. If you look, so when Chris Paul and James Harden play with Trevor Ariza, the Rockets are plus 10.8 points per 100 possessions. When they play with P.J. Tucker... They're plus 12.2 points per 100 possessions. When they play with Mbamut, plus 32.3 per 100 <laughs> possessions. He can, he's not going to be the guy that defends centers, which is really where P.J. Tucker comes in and what makes him so useful. Although, he, uh, when they played him at center against the Jazz recently, that was a nightmare for Utah. Um, so maybe that's a way they can exploit Gobert, but go ahead. Yeah, and he you would rather have PJ Tucker guarding someone in the post or a roll man, I would yeah, say. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah. but he can defend basically 4 through 1. I don't think pre- people appreciate how much he can he can switch and he's he's done some things recently where he has some more freedom to operate on drives, which is good for the Rockets because his three-point percentage is fine. It's about 35.9% this year. He's an historically bad shooter in the playoffs, which is what where him becoming a liability could come in if he's not going to hit um, open shots in the postseason, especially if they're open. But if he's going to shoot close to league average from three and he's going to be able to not cough the ball up off the dribble and he can shoot around 60% near the rim, which, again, not a fantastic mark, but that's where he's at and that's it's a, it's a fine mark. He's, he's just super valuable. And to pick up someone like him at the minimum, I know that – Let's say, okay, yes, it's because Chris Paul is there. It's because Trevor Rees is there. It's because James Harden's there. Daryl Morey got those players there. So to build a mm-hmm. roster where you're now this destination for guys who I would have thought Mbamu could have gotten more money elsewhere, that that's big time. So he's just – he's the clear choice. I mean, everyone you you, you talked about, Dennis Lindsay, uh, Danny Ainge, of course, they do deserve some love on that front. Maybe even Masai Ujiri a little bit because the Raptors have oh, been, yeah. been so I good agree. despite he had to make many tough decisions over the offseason. I just think it's Maury, and it's just... Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 